Today's scripture reading is Genesis 14, verses 1 through 24. This passage can be found on page 10 of the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. Again, the passage is Genesis 14, verses 1 through 24. Please stand with me in honor of God's holy word. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kederlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kederlaomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kederlaomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavakiriatham, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Enmishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Kederlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now, the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Kederlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. 
But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I believe a Christian life is an adventure. Life is filled with unexpected events. Things popped up out of nowhere. Are we ready for them? When we're confronted with unforeseen issues, we can either choose to ignore it or run away from it or face up to it with courage. What happens if you rupture your Achilles heel? What happens if it happens a second time? What would you do? A member received an unexpected job offer out of town. Is this a risky move? Should I go for it or not? Someone out of blue had a deal so good that it couldn't be true. Well, should I jump to it? This morning, we'll learn from Abram, who's called the father of faith. How did he deal with challenges, crises, and how did he deal with an offer too good to be true? In order for us to grow in maturity, we need to learn to deal with challenges. We need to learn courageous faith. We'll see in the life of Abram. In the first half of this uh, passage this morning, we'll, we'll see a determination, a dem- I'm sorry, a demonstration of courageous faith. In the second half of this passage, we'll see a temptation in the midst of courageous faith. So in this first section, we'll see Abram described as the watcher and also Abram as the warrior. So if you have uh, your um, sermon outlines inside your bulletin, please stick that out and follow uh, with me if you can. As you can recall, we've been going through Genesis and looking at the life of Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham or Abram that he will have a great nation. And Abram stepped out, stepped out in courageous faith, in obedience to God, leaving a secure place without knowing exactly where he is going. Last week, uh, Minister Henry pointed out that uh, they were quarreling between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. And Abram thought best they should go their separate ways. And Abram, out of generosity, gave Lot first choice as to where he wants to resign. And Lot chose the well-fertile plain of Jordan. 
where he pitched his tent near Solomon. Then we fast forward, we get to chapter 14 of Genesis, where a war broke out between two groups of alliance. This big scrimmage took place near the border of the land promised to Abraham. This was an unexpected surprise, but Abram was watchful and prepared. In this section, Abram was described as the watcher. He was watching the villain as well as the victim. From verses 1 to 11, I commend uh, Dane, uh, Dina for reading that passage. I was a little challenged there. It records the first war mentioned in the Bible. These two coalitions consist of five cities in the plain of Jordan who have been subjected to the kings of four eastern cities for 12 years. Now, these five cities did not want to be under rule of these eastern kings anymore. As a result, on the 13th year, they revolted. They had a rebellion. They probably stopped paying their taxes. While this rebellion was followed by retaliation. See, on the 14th year, the four powerful eastern kings invaded the Jordan Valley near the Salt Sea to bring these five kings under subjection. The first, they first conquered the border cities around before finally taking Solomon and Gomorrah. You would think five kings ought to be better, are able to defeat four kings. And since they were fighting on their so-called backyard, they should be familiar with the territory. However, as we read in this first section, that these five kings were severely defeated. In verse 10, it says that the kings of Solomon and Gomorrah fled, and some fled into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. They were humiliated as their army ran for their lives. We see in verses 11 and 12, it says that, So the enemy took all the possession of Solomon and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possession and went their way. See, one of these five cities that were defeated was Solomon, where Lot, or Abram's nephew, resided. And if we were to look back in the previous chapter, in chapter 13, verses 10 to 13, it shows that Lot had first looked at Solomon, and then he pitched his tent near Solomon. But however, we see there's a change as we go from chapter 13 to chapter 14 here. It says in verse 12 that Lot was dwelling in Solomon. Lot was initially attracted by the fertile land where there was great opportunity for success. Now he is really dwelling or immersed in the city there. 
Now, although Lot was described as a righteous man in 2 Peter 2, 6-8, he embraced the culture that was present in Sodom. Ironically, throughout Scripture, Lot never built an altar, nor were there records stating that he sought after the Lord as his uncle Abram did. Instead, being in the world, he was of the world. In James 4.4, it describes Lot as a friend of the world. Instead of Instead of influencing the world, Lot allowed the world to influence him. It was a slow, gradual process. And my question to all of us here is, are we influencing the world? Or is the world influencing us? Do our classmates or our co-workers know that we are Christians? Are our values shining bright in the midst of this very dark world? Are we cheating in school like many of the other students are doing? Are we spending extra time during break time like other co-workers? May we not compromise and tolerate sin. Lot lost all of his possessions, which includes his home, his property, his lifestyles, and his money. All of this wealth that he has accumulated is all gone. One day he had everything, and the next day, all gone. The invaders came and took all the goods in the city of Sodom. This reminds me of Paul's teaching in 1 Timothy 6.17. It says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, too often our goal in life is to, to be wealthy. I mean, having money is not bad in itself, but it can become our God. We should not measure our worth based upon our net worth, but to base our worth on how God views us. Not only did Lot lose everything, but he himself had become a prisoner of war or become a slave. Lot's capture was God's way of disciplining him and reminding him that he's in, he has no business in dwelling in Sodom. See, outwardly, this land was described in chapter 13, verse 10, like the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt. It was a well-watered land. However, inwardly, in, in chapter 13, verse 13, the people living in Sodom and Gomorrah were described as wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, he says, Bad company corrupts character. 
Someone said, we are like the people we spend the most time with. Therefore, may we choose carefully who we associate with. God has given, God is getting lots of attention that he's going down the wrong path. We've seen a demonstration of courageous faith in Abram the Watcher. And now I want to talk about the demonstration of courageous faith in Abram the Warrior. First of all, let's look at Abram's army. See, God sovereignly is displayed in verse 13. Someone escaped from the battle, and he reported what has happened to Lot and his countrymen to Abram. This fugitive chose to go to Abram instead of someone else, probably because Abram would offer the greatest hope to rescue them. Abram was sought out in the moment of crisis. If there is a crisis, would people seek you out? When one of the most uh, respected and wise person that I know uh, is, is Paul Chung. When someone has a problem, many will call up Paul for advice because they know Paul can help them out. Abram was known for his courage and faith in God, and people sought him out for help. Abram considered Lot like his own son because Abram had raised him since he was a child. Once Abram heard that his nephew was in trouble, he immediately assembled an army. Instead of Abram being jealous because his, his nephew was greedy and selfish, he was loyal and faithful to Lot. Abram could have said, he took the best land he needs to defend for himself. But instead, Abram responded courageously and compassionately. Jesus, like Abram, they were mistreated. Yet he, like Abram, rescued others. Jesus rescued us from our sin by sacrificing himself on behalf of us, by dying the most excruciating death, Jesus knew that we cannot save ourselves. He loved us so much that he offered himself to pay the penalty of our sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead as a demonstration in God's acceptance of his payment. Abram anticipated danger as he entered Canaan. He was prepared for crisis. He had trained 318 men to fight. He also aligned with Marid, the Amorite, brother Eskel, and of Aner, as recorded in verse 13. Although Abram was outnumbered, as he faced the army of four kings, Abram believed in God 
that God will fight for him. The odds were against Abram, but he stepped out courageously and put his faith in God. Abram did not do it alone. May we be prepared for crisis. May we not try to deal with it by ourselves. But instead, may we ally, may, may, may make alliance with other believers for support. We're not to stand in an island by ourselves, but join hands with other believers for mutual protection. One of the best ways of doing that is joining a small group or a community group. If you have not, if you are not in a small group, I encourage you to go out uh, to the welcome booth in the lobby, and uh, one of them uh, will be able to guide you to an appropriate group where you will receive support, encouragement, prayer, and accountability. We have talked about Abram's army. Let's take a look at Abram's attack. What was his strategy? How did he overcome the enemy? We see that uh, Abram divided his men into several groups, instructed them to attack by night for several vantage points. This strategy caused the enemies to think that there is huge force surrounding them. In addition, he attacked at an unexpected time in the evening. It caught them off guard. They were confused and they fled. Abram, the courageous leader, led the charge. He not only chased the enemy away, but he pursued the enemies to Holbert, which is a hundred miles north of Dan. He made sure that he had complete victory and repossessed, and he had complete victory and rescued all the people that were enslaved. He not only rescued Lot, but all those that were enslaved and repossessed all their possessions. Abram could have kept everything for himself, but unselfishly, he returned everything to the people. Remember that these people that were in Solomon, they were described as wicked and evil people. Yet Abram had compassion for all, all people, even for those that are very different from him. He freed them all and returned all of their possession. Now, just as God has compassion and mercy toward us, we are also to demonstrate compassion and mercy to others that might not be like us. Next Sunday, we're partnering with a Thousand Hill to serve the homeless by offering them physical food and spiritual food through worship service in the park. You can join us and check out the link in the announcement. Sign up and join us. We have looked at Abram's army, Abram's attack, 
And now let's look at Abram's achievement as recorded in verse 16. It says, Then he brought back all the possession and also brought back the, his kinsmen Lot with his possession and the woman and the people. Abram had a tremendous victory. And he and his men drove the four kings away and rescued Lot and all the captives. Although Abram here is acknowledged as a warrior, we see in verse 20 of this chapter that Melchizedek attributed the victory to God as part of God's blessing on Patriarch. We see this in verse 20. It says, And, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. See, God was actively working through the life of Abram to carry out his promise of a great nation. Abram has shown tremendous courage and faith in God in spite of impossible odds. He had won an impossible victory. Now, recognition and honor will be given to him. How will he respond? So as Abram was uh, marching back from the triumphal victory over the four kings, Abram met two kings. The first king mentioned is the king of Solomon named Melchizedek. And the second king mentioned was king of Solomon. His name was Berah. First, I'd like us to take a look at uh, the first king, who is the godly and priestly king of Solomon. Let us read verses 17 to verse 20. And it says, After his return from the defeat of Chador Laormer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Solomon, went out to meet him in the valley of Shaved. That is the king of valley. And Melchizedek, king of Solomon, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God's most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. We have seen Abram as described as a watcher. We have seen him described as a warrior. Now we're going to see him as described as a worshiper. You see, one of the most vulnerable places that one can be is right after a victory. We tend to put our guards down. And we see here in the second half of this passage, in verses 17 to 24, we see temptation in the midst of courageous faith. In these next eight verses, we see how strong Abram embraced God. Abram was recognized as a worshiper. Who will, be, who, who will he bow down to? Let's look specifically at what happened to Abram's encounter with these two kings. First of all, let's take a look at Abram, the worshiper, as he, as he worshiped with 
the godly and priestly king of Solomon. His name is Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek? What did Melchizedek do? And how did Abram respond to him? Who is Melchizedek? As Abram was entering, as, as, as Abram was returning from battle, a king, a king came out to meet him. He served the same God that Abram does, and he was called the God Most High. His name is Melchizedek, who's described as king of Salem and also a priest of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. He was a historical figure, a Canaanite king, and he was also a priest living during Abram's time. He is a worshiper of the one true God, the one creator God who is the supreme being over everything. In the book of Genesis, everybody had genealogy except for Melchizedek. He is presented as one that doesn't have any father or mother. He's presented as if he is like an eternal person. It makes him to be a model or pattern of the coming Messiah who will be both king and priest. Because Jesus will live forever. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Jesus has become a guardian, guardianter of a better covenant. Melchizedek appeared to transcend earthly existence. This makes him a type of Christ. Unlike other priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifice day after day. He sacrificed his life for us once and for all. He is the eternal mediator between God and man. He will return to the same city where Melchizedek was from, Jerusalem. Melchizedek is a prototype of the true king of righteousness and peace. Melchizedek is an Old Testament illustration of what Jesus would be. Genesis, we see, provides the context for Melchizedek's identity. And we look in Psalms 110, it connects Melchizedek to the coming Messiah. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7, it describes Jesus' supremacy as the great high priest using Melchizedek's, or Melchizedek's role as an illustration of Jesus' priesthood and kingship. What did Melchizedek do? Melchizedek, the priest and the king, offer bread and wine to Abram. See, both of which were used in remembrance of Christ. And, and, and this morning, we're going to have communion. And it reminds us of the bread and the wine. Jesus, like the priesthood 
or Melchizedek, renewed the spiritual strength of his people with the bread and wine of communion so that we can live in spiritual victory. See, the author of Hebrews said that Jesus is the priest and the king in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek first brings a great feast out to Abram, and then he gives God's blessing to Abram. He reminds Abram that it was God who is the one who gave him the victory over his enemy. Yes, Abram and his men demonstrated courage in fighting, but it was the courageous faith in God that resulted in victory. The odds were too great, humanly speaking, to win. It could not have happened unless God stepped in. Melchizedek then prayed and blessed Abram in the name of the Most High God. And that's repeated several times. Remember, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Although Abram was the father of Israel, he was inferior to Melchizedek because Melchizedek blessed Abram. We can all see how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abram gave him a tenth of the plunder. And we see how Abram responded. Abram acknowledged his submission to Melchizedek and expressed his gratitude by giving him a tithe. Notice that he did not tithe because uh, he did not tithe to get a blessing. He tithed out of thanksgiving for the blessing that he received. Later, we see that uh, the Israelites followed Abram's example by honoring the priests who worked in the temple by giving them a tithe. Giving is an act of worship. God does not need our money. God really desires our heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our treasure follows what we are passionate about. The Bible says that we can find out what is, what is most precious to us by identifying where we invest our money. For some of us, it might be in electronics, others maybe clothes, or, or the latest uh, gadget that we can buy. However, for Abram, he invested in eternity. You remember in Job 121, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Whatever we have, we will not be able to take, get with us when our life ends. Therefore, it is wise to invest in eternity. 
when we tithe, we acknowledge that God owns everything, and we give to express our gratitude toward God's generosity toward us. I encourage you, if you're not already tithing, please consider to start tithing. If you're already tithing, I encourage you to give more generously. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have looked at Abram, the worshiper, as he worshiped with the godly and priestly king of Salem. Now we will see how Abram deal with the godless and perverted king of Solom. Here we'll see how Abram deal with temptation in the midst of courageous faith. Oh, the king of Solom, who is he? His name is Berah. And what did Berah offer? And how did Abram respond? So Berah is the king of Solom. Note that his people were taken captive, and Abram has rescued them. It's very interesting what Berah offered. In verse 21, it says that the king of Solomon said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Well, what, what did Berah offer? See, this is a test of Abram's faith after a great victory. Bear offer an attractive proposition. Bear offer Abram to keep all the spoils. Bear only wanted to keep the people. Definitely, this deal was tempting. There were a lot of spoils, possessions, livestocks. Abram can be filthy rich. How did Abram respond? We see, uh, as we take a look in verse, beginning verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strapped on anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Nanar, Eskol, and Mare take their share. Abram could have thought that this was a way that God's blessing him. Hey, you know, God's blessing me in this, this way. But the king of Sodom was obviously a godless, perverted king. Abram discerned that it is unwise to deal with such a wicked person. And the question comes down to who will Abram bow down to worship? Through Abram's courageous faith, he turned down Berah's tempting offer. Abram had to choose between two kings. 
who represent two very opposite ways of life. In order to make the right decision, he needs courageous faith. In the midst of courageous faith, there will be temptation, testing of our faith, whether compromise or not. Pharaoh represented the appeal to our flesh. Do not be deceived that money and possession will give us permanent fulfillment. Bera, the king of Solom, Solom actually means burning. If we choose to bow, bow down to Bera, everything we live for can burn up. That is exactly what happened to Lot. However, Abram, through courageous faith, bowed down to worship God most high with Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ, the king priest. He will enable us to enjoy righteousness and peace. Abram rejected Pharaoh and accepted Melchizedek. Now, in the midst of unexpected challenges. May we be courageous in, with our faith in the Lord. As we seek His will, He will direct us. And may we be courageous to take risks for Him. And let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, um, we recognize that you are the most high God. You are sovereign. You're in control of all things. And Lord, uh, we are confronted with uh, unexpected challenges all the time. You promised to be there for us. And may we seek you out. And during challenges, May we respond in courageous faith, knowing that you love us and want the very best for us. May we um, trust you and depend upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.